0: Viper Drive episode 12. Start now. What's up, people? This your boy Viper, the man about tech, and welcome to Viper Drive. This is the podcast about tech hosted by the man about tech. And oh, we got a bar burner tonight. My guest. The world's greatest Apple Tech journalist alive today. Renee Richie is in the building. Renee, how you doing, man?
1: Oh man, so great to be here. So great to be here. You really always pump me up. I always feel better when I'm talking to
0: you. Yes. <laughs> that is that is the way we want to go. Gotta get you ready for a nice conversation because we got a lot to talk about, Renee. Yeah. All right. So I'm not gonna waste any time tonight. We're gonna get right to the big stuff. Elizabeth Warren. That's where I'm going first. Absolutely. <laughs> So as some of you may or may not be aware, 2020 presidential hopeful Elizabeth Warren put out a Medium post on March 8th talking about how she wants to break up big tech. Now, in her post, she mentioned Amazon and Google and Facebook, but And in later uh, clarification, she said that Apple would also be affected. Now, usually I don't mess around with political jargon. I could care less. But when you say Apple, you get my attention since I am the captain of Team Apple. And I thought it was only right to get the greatest Apple tech journalist on tonight with me to talk about this. So, Renee, I think the woman is absolutely out of her mind. But I'm curious to get your opinions on her proposed breakup of Apple. So.
1: Like It's so interesting to me because I try never to just reject anything, no matter how outlandish it sounds. I want to read it. I want to hear what they say. I want to see if there's this perspective I hadn't thought of before, an opinion I hadn't considered. Because I always feel like I know what I know, but I don't know what anybody else knows. And I'm super interested to find out what they know. So I went into it and and some of it tugged at my heartstrings, Viper. Like she, she knew how to get to me because one of her pillars was, yeah, let's just break up Facebook. And like, when someone starts talking about that, you know, you got my attention, at least. They were, she's like, it's not, you know, Facebook owns Instagram, they own WhatsApp. And that's like owning your own competition. And maybe those mergers shouldn't have been allowed. And then there's also the question about Google, because that was on our list. Like Google owns, you know, Google search and YouTube, the first and second biggest search engines in the world. And they also own Android and they also own uh, Nest and all these things. And Amazon, like I thought her Amazon is where it started to break down for me because it was like, Amazon is this huge store, but they sell Amazon Basics. And yeah, that's true. But like Walmart and Target and all these real world companies have house brands. And Amazon also owns AWS, the world's biggest web services company. And you didn't even mention that. So, I, I, and then the more I started reading it, the more it sounded like one of those big ideas that gets you like a ton of headlines, a ton of attention. Uh, You know, like Neelay said, I was talking to him yesterday, like Neelay said, it it makes sure everybody else, like now everybody in this election is going to be asked, what do you think about Elizabeth Warren's idea? Do you think that Facebook should be broken up? And every candidate from every party is going to have to answer that. But you just start thinking, like, oh, it's not fair that Apple owns the app store and has apps on it. But no one cares about Apple's apps on the App Store. But what about like Super Mario on the Nintendo store or Halo on the Microsoft? Yeah. People really care about
0: it. you can take away our Mario. <laughs> it's craziness. Like, like you like I watched a video that you did with Nele, and you brought up a good point. It's more than just Apple and Facebook and Amazon that have like platforms that own uh properties on no platform, what about Microsoft and their first party games like Halo? office it, and Michael, right, right. Microsoft office or Nintendo and Mario. What are you going to break yeah. them up to? Like, what, what are we talking about here? Renee? What are we talking about? Yeah. So that's where I started. Like that's where I started to break down with me. Cause one of the things I like to do is
1: when like, it's real easy, especially for people like in our profession, like when you comment on Apple or Google or you're in the tech industry, it's easy to say something like you say, like iTunes is a monstrosity and Apple should fix it. I agree. But like, if you put me in charge of doing it, And there's like $4 billion worth of transaction's going through there. I'd be a little bit hella nervous. And so I try to think, you know, she wants to break these companies up, but how would that actually work? How would that happen? How would you say, like, is it a slippery slope? You want to break up this company, but this other company is almost identical. Why didn't you mention that other company? And then if you start doing A, you've got to do B, but B is not really to like consumer advantage. And that, that to me, again, is where it broke down is when. You can say the idea and some people will agree and disagree just because some people like Facebook and hate Apple or hate Facebook and like Apple or love Google and hate Amazon or vice versa. And a lot of us like to like use our personal preferences instead of like logic for these arguments. Oh but once God. you start to do the logic, it just it seems like it breaks down to me.
0: So obviously, like you said, when you're a presidential, when you're a presidential candidate, you want to come with big ideas, attention grabbing headlines, et cetera, et cetera, things like that to get the people talking, get the people mentioning your name, and in that respect you've done a hell of a job. Yes. But when you talk about separating Apple from the App Store, I have a problem. I have a fundamental problem with that that idea. And the reason why I have a problem with that idea is because Apple, the iOS, the Apple App Store is widely regarded as the most secure protected mobile operating platform, on planet earth. And you break away the proprietor from the platform that creates a problem. Not only does that create a problem for me and you Renee, it creates a problem for damn near the whole entire world. I mean, even the president of the United States has an iPhone. So now you're creating a potential national security issue. So it's like, what is, did she think this through? I don't know if she thought. Like, like you said, Renee, I think she just wanted to have a hot topic out there and get everybody talking, but I really don't think she thought the entire thing through because if she did, she would have never had this stuff come out of her pen or her mouth or whatever. Yeah, and,
1: and when you think about it, like her whole thing is that you shouldn't be able to own the platform and sell things on the platform. But when you look at Apple's apps, a lot of them are like inconsequential. Like you know, who really cares if... uh Clips isn't on the app store and It doesn't change anything. And Apple put a lot of their apps on the app store to get them off of iOS. So you could delete them if you wanted to, or you would like you get iWork for free, but they don't pre-install it on most phones just to save you some space. But it'd be real easy for them to just bundle, like to have, you, you turn on your brand new iPhone, Eclipse is there and iWork is there and GarageBand is there and all the Apple apps are there and they're not in the store anymore. It would change nothing for Apple and they would be fully conforming with her with her policy. And,
0: and that to me shows that the policy is pretty thin. Exactly. Like even if Apple apps weren't in the app, like you said, they would just put them on the iPhone and bloatware and go, and it'll be done with <laughs> like, like that it will pretty much affect nothing. And yeah. the end the, and this idea that Apple has a monopoly and they're stifling competition. There are over 2 million apps in the app store. How are we stifling competition? How's Apple stifling the competition where there are 2 million apps on the app store. Am I missing something Renee or am I crazy?
1: No, so there's two, there's two very different forces at work here. And one of them, I don't know if it's on your list already, but one of them is sort of like exemplified by Spotify today. Uh, so you have two kinds of apps. You have traditional software, which used to be sold in boxes in like Best Buy and CompUSA, and you know, all those you know, fries, all those stores. And they would they, software was so profitable that they could make a disc, put it in a box and give Best Buy or whomever 55% Cause that's what the old, like retail, retail wasn't 30%. It was 55% of the sale. And they were still making a ton of money. Like if you bought a box of Photoshop or a box of office or a box of anything, you paid hundreds of dollars for it. And Best Buy took most of that money. And, and those apps still make a lot of money. Like the... I don't explain it as well as Ben Thompson, but like once you've done the program, you've done the coding, it it costs very little, it costs almost nothing to make copies. So to sell like a million copies of your of your app doesn't cost you anything more than just making, like selling two copies of the app. So everything you sell, the greater you scale, the greater you profit and even 30% for a $10 app, $5 app, $2 app, that's not really a lot of money. But when you get into the services apps, like you get into Spotify and Netflix, they're already resellers. Like Netflix now makes original content. Spotify is trying to with their deal with Anchor and their deal with Gimlet, but they mostly, all the music music apps, they just repackage the same music catalog. They have a few different experiences, but mostly like you get the same music on Spotify that you get on Tidal, that you get on Apple Music. Uh, and they have to pay the the songwriters and the publishers and the studios for that. So they have very thin margins. So they're taking all the music and repackaging it. And then Apple's taking all the apps and repackaging it. And there's no money for both of them to take a cut. And that's where they start to get feisty. So it's like 30%, Apple can't have 30% and Spotify can't have 30% from the same
0: dollar. All right, so here, maybe maybe my thinking is narrow-minded here, but here, my logic on this. I made a video a few weeks ago justifying Apple's 30% app cut. It is Apple platform. They built this platform from the ground up. like if we're going to be real serious talking about music per se, Apple single-handedly saved the music industry with iTunes years ago. So in my estimation, there will be no Spotify if it wasn't for Apple and iTunes. So when you have Spotify, like Rene alluded to earlier, they they are now suing Apple for antitrust in the EU because of the 30% app commission that Apple takes. I'm thinking to myself, you are trying to sue Apple for for their 30% app commission when Apple is probably responsible for your company even being here in the first place. And they're giving you a platform to distribute your service, but yet you want to sue them for giving you that platform for taking too much more for what you think is them taking too much off, uh, from your revenue off that platform. Now, my question to Spotify and all these other app developers and things like that, imagine if you didn't have the Apple app platform. Imagine if you tried to do it by yourself. How much money would it cost you to do it by yourself. I'm gonna guess a hell of a lot more than 30% of what Apple takes out of your app revenue. Maybe I'm wrong. Renee, am I wrong? No, So it's super interesting because
1: there was this other story a few months ago where people lost their mind. And again, in the internet, it's easy to outrage first, research second. And I always try to do the research part first. So there was a rumor that Apple was asking for 50% cut for the new magazine subscription service and people lost their minds. How dare Apple? But Peter Kafka from Rico did some research and he said that the way these companies were looking at it, it wasn't the percentage, but the overall profit. And exactly to your point, if you're making a dollar Uh, Do you care that Apple's taking 50% if they offer to let you make $20? You know, it's sort of like, that's $20. That's way more than I'm making now. I get that Apple's taking a a cut, but it's still 10 times what I'm making now. And for these magazines where people, you know, it's hard to subscribe to a lot of magazines. Maybe you love, uh, you know, Esquire or GQ or Men's Health, but all of a sudden it's $10 each. It's $30, $50, $100. And Apple's offering you all of them for $10 and they'll each get a cut of that. And suddenly, instead of having, you know, 50,000 subscribers, they have access to 100 million potential subscribers, that's super valuable for them. And that's, that's sort of like the brokerage fee Apple is asking for for access to that huge subscriber base and the convenience of it all being in one app. And that's exactly what the App Store did. I think people forget that back in the old days, uh, there were no app stores You had to go to the web to download your palm software, your Windows mobile software, and it cost like $32 for a sticky notes app, you know, and and it would crash your phone every time you ran it. And Apple is and it was there was a lot of security problems with all of this stuff. And Apple has solved for that. Now you can argue about whether it should be 30%. I know Microsoft is going as low as 5% on some of these, and whether it should scale depending on how big your business is, or whether a subscription or or host prices. But there is something to be said for Spotify getting a potential audience exactly like what you said in the hundreds of millions instead of whatever it would be outside the app store.
0: Exactly. And like it is so easy for like developers and just the general public to like rush to blame Apple, but nobody ever considers Apple in. They don't consider the time and the resources and the money that Apple pays to keep an app store up 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 365 days a year do you think this stuff is free this stuff is not free do you know how much do you have any idea how much apple pays in overhead to keep an app store a worldwide app store running in indefinitely like just the resources and the money that it takes is just it's it, it beyond my scope and well I mean, nobody's just-
1: realizes nobody realizes there's like two there's two sides to that, and I want to be fair, make sure I get both of them. So one of the sides is that Apple is also footing the bill for all the free apps. If your app is genuinely free, Apple is paying for everything for you. You don't pay, any real charges you know no hosting fees no review fees no no certification fees that to show that your app is malware free nothing like it's zero cost to you you build the app you put it up there everyone has access to it but on the other side apple is making like it previously apple ran iTunes at like break even just above break even cuz apple hates losing money and the app store initially was like they wanted to run it at just over break even but with the advent of mostly and i think people forget this part the App Store makes billions of dollars, but it's mostly on the backs of in- of in-app purchases for games. Like people love their Smurf berries and their Pokecoins coins <laughs> and their skins and their revi—they love that stuff and they pour billions of dollars into that. And Apple benefits from that. So yes, the App Store makes a ton of money, and it's fair to say maybe Apple shouldn't take as high a percentage given how much the App Store is earning now. But it's also likely not your app that's earning them all that money. <laughs> it's the big apps from like you know like from Niantic and from uh, yeah whatever the big you know clash of clan type companies.
0: Absolutely man. Like yeah like but here's the thing the other thing that gets me about Elizabeth Warren. She's supposedly a capitalist. And if my definition and memory serves me correctly capitalism is basically the principle of getting the opportunity to make your money without having a government regulate it. Basically like like a lot of people are saying the market pretty much dictate how much you can make given how good your idea, your product, your service is. That is the very foundation of capitalism. But this notion to break a big tech kind of flies in the face of capitalism. She's basically saying, oh, your idea, your product, your service, your invention is so good that now it needs to be government regulated because it's too good. Like, is it the whole point of capitalism to make a product or service that good? Or am I missing something, Renee? No, but I mean, it's like
1: a lot of these philosophies are are fine, except at the very, very small scale and the very, very large scale, they all break down. So if you have a, a, a medium-scale capitalist society, like any sort of society, chances are it can be well-run. But when you start, like there it will tend towards entropy. So eventually, if it's not regulated in any way, you'll have one, everything will be Coke or Pepsi. You'll have two companies in the world. One will be Coke, one will be Pepsi, Marvel, DC, Android, they'll own everything. They'll own half of everything, Pepsi will have half of everything else, Burger King, McDonald's, Android, iPhone, you know, like everything you can think of will be owned by either Coke and Pepsi. And you wanna prevent that because that's not in anyone's best interest because then they start to collude. So which her, her capital, and I'm no economics major, no, but her version of capitalism is the kind that wants robust competition. So instead of having like a Google, you have six Googles fighting it out. So that consumers benefit by the competition that drives down prices and increase consumer benefits and again all these things are great in in theory it's just humans can screw up anything so like give us five <laughs> minutes we'll figure out how to game that as well
0: yeah like like i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to bash elizabeth warren or nothing like that like some some of the basics of her ideas is actually like warranted. like i think um i think nila was talking about in your video how amazon runs a whole platform and then they, they could come in with their Amazon basic product line and undercut pretty much everything that they sell on the platform. So it kind of it kind of messes with competition that way. So I can understand the ideal. But like I said, as it relates to Apple and the app store, I mean, I've been arguing this for weeks now. It's a little bit different to me because you're talking about messing with the very foundation and structure and security of the Apple app store, breaking it up from Apple. I mean, that, that that's not something you want to mess with
1: yeah and it's also again it's hard to figure out like how her 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 theory ends because Yes, Apple and Google have access to all the data. So they'll know what the most popular apps are on the platform. So for example, they might know that WhatsApp is the most popular. And that's what Facebook was trying to do when they snuck those VPNs onto everybody's phones, was figure out what people were using so they could buy them. That's how, that's how they knew to buy Instagram and WhatsApp. But in this theory, Apple would know that WhatsApp is popular and they would make iMessage. Or Google, you know bless their hearts, they've never been able to make a chat client. But they'll try again to make something. Um, and that but like you can't say that Apple can't make iMessage like how what would that would you, would your phone have no apps on it made by Apple and you'd, you'd turn on a blank phone and have to go download everything from third parties on the App Store you, you, you need certain built in functionality and if you can have a browser and a messages client why can't you have a video editor like it's it's hard. all these things again they sound great when there's no details but like like you can't put a puzzle together with blank pieces it's very hard
0: no no like like i said at the very beginning of the podcast i don't think she threw, she thought the whole thing through either she didn't think it through or she just threw it out there to get people talking and that she done a good job at that but some of this stuff hasn't been completely fleshed out she needs to go back to the lab and rework some of these principles because they're not working for tech they're not working <laughs> yeah totally so this is this is kind of surreal to me because i remember years ago watching your podcast when you were when the site was originally called the iphone blog yes. and you had George's dow on you guys were talking for like an hour or so about things happening in apple so it kind of surreal for me to have you on my podcast all these years later man oh, I've, I've been, man i've been following you forever in a day so oh, i'm curious, that. no doubt man no doubt i'm curious how did you start covering apple yeah well, I, so actually, I, I guess the better question is why apple <laughs>
1: so i was all in on microsoft like i had an xbox and I, I was building my own windows pcs i had a windows laptop uh i had i had a apple II when i was a kid and i had a Performa in the dark ages and then i went all in on amiga and then amiga went out of business and then i started getting into pcs because i was lo- young and i like to put things together so i would build pcs i, would, I used a pc laptop and i got into web development and that was easy to, like you could write websites and notepads so that was fine um And I had a, I had first a trio phone, like when there was still Palm OS and I had some of the windows mobile trios made by HTC loved, loved those phones. And then Apple announced the iPhone and like I watched that keynote and it was like something out of the future. It was, it was like science fiction. It was unbelievable. And I immediately themed my trio to look like an iPhone. Uh, and, And it wasn't gonna be available in Canada but I knew I wanted one. So like as soon as it was jailbroken, I smuggled one in. And then at the same time, Microsoft released Vista and I was working as a graphic designer at the time. And every year I get the latest, greatest Dell laptop to work on. And I, the latest, the Vista version arrived, I turned it on and it said it had no graphic drivers. So like I couldn't even use the laptop. Mm. And the IT guy said, I, you know, I'm sick of this. You've lost so much time trying to work with this stuff. We're just gonna get you a Mac. And they got me the 17 inch MacBook Pro. I think it was running tiger back then and I loved it. I, it was just, it just worked. Like it literally just worked. And I was using all the Adobe stuff. So it was super easy to transition. All my stuff was the same, you know, like the, I was using a uh, Wacom Intuit. Everything just worked fine. And I got an iPhone. And I'm like, these, these all stuff all works together. And then I, I just like, I slowly grabbed, I, I just didn't replace the Windows stuff when it broke down and I enjoy I like part of me missed all the potential to customize and to mess with stuff, But the rest of it is like, I'm working. I don't have time. I don't want to be I don't want to be working for my laptop or my phone. I want it to be working for me. So the inability to like mess around with it ended up being a huge time saver for me. And then I just got like the next version and the next version. And I always say, like, if if Apple if Apple does to me what Microsoft did with Vista, I'll go on to the next thing. That hasn't happened yet. But you know, I I don't believe in like loyalty to a company. I believe companies should be loyal to us. So as long as Apple is treating me right, you know, there's advantages to being all in on the ecosystem.
0: Woo! That last line, that 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 next to last line. You don't believe in loyalty to companies, you believe that companies should be loyal to you. That yes, is a sir. hell of a line. Because, as you know, being a YouTube creator yourself, you know that there are some serious hardcore brand loyalties out there. We got Apple Sheep on one side, Samsung Knights on the other. They're in constant battle. It's so and, tribal and crazy. And in the comment section, get toxic AF. I mean, good yeah. lord. Oh, man. So let's talk about that for a minute, Renee. Why do people get so tied to a brand? Do they not know better?
1: yeah, I mean, Georgia Dow, you mentioned her earlier. she she explained this once really, really well. It's this tribalism. Like we all sort of like other humans, but not really. But then as you get smaller and smaller, like you like your friends, but you like your family more. and then you like certain members of your family more. But then ultimately, you like you most. you know, and it, like you get down to you and then what you identify with. And a lot of people, for whatever reason, transfer their sense of self-identity to other things, like maybe it's their sports team. Maybe it really is like, I like Coke and you like Pepsi. I like Marvel and you like DC. I like Nintendo and you like Xbox. And because you're not like me, you're suddenly the enemy. And people don't understand that other people can have different choices, like different subjective choices. And that's fine. Like. I'll never judge someone else based on the bits on their pocket being different than the bits in my pocket or the atoms being different than the atoms in my pocket. That's that's all cool. But a lot of people, their whole sense of identity is in it. And when that thing feels threatened, let me back up for a second. When people are threatened, they have different responses. When some people are challenged, they look at it as a learning opportunity. When other people get challenged, they look at it as an existential threat and they feel like they have to fight back. Now, if you can make it a learning opportunity, you're gonna grow so much better, so much more successful, so much smarter, so much wiser. But you have to, you have to sublimate a lot of ego to do that. If you treat it as an existential threat, you just fight all the time. That gives you an endorphin rush. You know, you're part of a team, you got a community, you're fighting. Like it has a lot of immediate, instant ego gratification awards. And humans are much better at the present than they ever are at the future. <laughs>
0: You ain't never lie with the immediate ego gratification, man. Because I think that's what a lot of it is. Like They are so loyal to these brands. And as I like to joke, these brands aren't coming to your Christmas party. They're not giving you birthday cake. They're not sending you cards. They're not coming to your baby showers. All they care about is their bottom line. Once they have your money, they don't care about you anymore. All they want is to get your money. But a lot of people, just for whatever reason, that just go completely over their heads. And they want to stand on the front lines for these brands when they just They whatever reason they just block it out or they don't care that the brand don't give a damn about you. They don't care about you. They care about your money.
1: And it's even worse. It's like it's not even that they don't care. They just don't think about you at all. (laughs) (laughs) Like they think about Well no, but they think about you like in the abstract. Like you like, it's like that that great Kevin Hart joke, you know, that's kind of like Kevin Smith, where he's like, Don't know you still want your money. You know, it's like, um, and that's true. I mean, they want as many customers as possible, but they don't, like, they don't think, Oh, I want Vipers money. Oh, I want Renee's money. It's just like, I'd like a hundred billion people's money, please. You can figure out which hundred billion it is. <laughs> don't care about anyone in particular, maybe Beyonce. I'd love Beyonce's money, but you know, beyond that, it's fine.
0: <laughs> right. Right. So a few times in this podcast, you've mentioned Marvel and DC. So I'm, I got to ask you to have you seen Captain Marvel? I, I seen it twice actually. Oh, I want to see it twice, too. So I guess I don't have to ask you how you liked it because you've seen it twice. <laughs> yeah, no, so I thought it was good.
1: Like, it wasn't my favorite. I'm, like, a huge Infinity War fan, and, like, it wasn't quite, like, Infinity War level for me, but I thought Brie Larson and Samuel Jackson were unbelievably good yes. in the movie. Just so great. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I was really, like... Uh, like uh, because of uh, Brie Larson's recent uh, comments about people who uh, critique our movies and think a lot of out crying outrage was over her comments and people were boycotting the movie. and all other garbage that i can care less about i went to the movie and i enjoyed the hell out of it and like you know, i want to see it again i mean it was just amazing and i think it's an excellent set piece for in game next month i'm yeah. i'm ready renee i'm ready
1: yeah, there's a cool little apple anecdote that that reminded me of so back in the day when they were working on the iphone scott forestall was like we have to get diversity in our teams because we need more ideas, but it doesn't like I can't just say get diversity in the teams. I have to hire people who are diverse. Then I have to have those people interview the candidates because you know people people are tribal, and if you don't interview people who look like you, see like you, think like you, it's much harder. But then I have to send them to the colleges, to the job fairs, to the conferences because like if you if you're like someone who's never seen themselves represented in like programming or on a stage or something. And suddenly, you see someone who looks just like you at a job fair. You're much more likely to go up to them and start talking and think about it as a possibility for you. And that's sort of like the model that I think like she was talking about, and why it's like important for all these things to happen. Because unless you feel, it, it's not about like a lot of people like ah, they're excluding people. No, it's like you you have to have equal opportunity you have to have equal potential. Like you have to have the same opportunities before you can have the same realizations. And that's where I think a lot of the stuff is really good. Like, especially with the tech stuff, we're getting more people up on stage, more diverse people up on stage. And that just is so motivational to everybody. When you see yourself included
0: in the game, you make an excellent point. Like, I don't think that people like took the time to break her comment down that way as eloquently as you just stated them, but you're absolutely right. Um, it it almost makes me kind of sad that we have to think about it this way, but it's definitely correct. Like when you see people that look like you represented in a certain medium, like you said, you will be more apt to go up and talk to them, want to know their backstory. How did they get into that? Can you yourself get to that medium or where they are, and just go from there? It's, it's really cool, man. It's really it's really interesting how the way that works. And I think, like you said, that's what she was talking about. Like it, when you when more people of your ilk are represented in something, it just makes for more diverse conversation.
1: Yeah. And everybody has that moment, like, cause some people will say, Oh, what does it matter? But like, everybody's had that moment where they felt excluded for some reason, like either you weren't fast enough for the track team, or, you know, you, you weren't tall enough for the basketball team or you're Italian and you saw a mob movie and it just made you feel terrible because you felt like you were being like profiled, you know, like, like, like it's minor compared to what other people have experienced, but it gives you that moment of insight into what it's like to be treated that way. And then you don't ever want anyone else to be treated that
0: way again no doubt no doubt all right we're going to take a short break for our sponsor we will be right back so we're back with my man renee richie renee you are the greatest apple tech journalist alive (laughs) you use practically every apple product that comes out so i'm curious right now what is your favorite apple product that you use
1: oh man it's always so hard for me because i i love like I love diversity, like I love having different things. And right now, like I'm going from iPhone to Apple watch to AirPods. And I keep circling between those, not just cause they work really well together, but because like I put in the AirPods and I'm like, holy crap, I've got an air, I've got a computer in my ear. And then I look at like the Apple watch and I'm like, it's on my wrist too. And then my iPhone is like my primary computing platform. Now I use it more than I use anything else. And you know, we can get into a whole debate about what Samsung's doing, what Google's doing and all the advantages of the different ones. But any of those are like so amazing right now. That it's like I can do almost everything. I used to have a whole computer. I had to do now. I can do most of it on my
0: phone. Yeah, funny you say that because people ask me, or oh, what, what, which, which phone should I get? Which, uh, which platform is better this, that, and the other? I'm like, you got to go with what works best for you. What works best with your workflow? Because they all, they both have their pros and their cons. It's not, it's not black and white. It's basically, what do you prefer? What is your personal preference? Do you like being able to customize and tweak your phone and your settings? If so, you'll be more apt to enjoy Android do you want your stuff to just work? Do you not want to have to think about how you use your phone? If so, iPhone is more tailored towards you. It's just the way that you use your products and how they fit into your workflow, your lifestyle. It doesn't really, it's not really about which one is better per se anymore.
1: Yeah. And I I think also like, like tech, we have to be more considerate because a lot of these phones, they really are mature products and they don't change that much year to year. Yeah. The screens get better. The cameras get better. Um, but we treat it like, oh, like, like we treat it like everybody's buying a new phone every year. And some of us treat it like everybody is buying eight new phones every year. Like, oh, you didn't move from the Pixel, you didn't move from the iPhone to the Pixel to the Galaxy? What's <laughs> wrong with you? Oh, you didn't get the Huawei in between? It's like normal people don't have these conversations. They may be upgrade every two or three years. And for them going from like a Galaxy S6 or like an iPhone 6 Plus to like a modern iPhone or a Galaxy is a huge upgrade for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely, like you said, It's funny because when we're doing these YouTube videos, we are not really talking to the average consumer per se, because basically if you're watching YouTube, if you're watching a tech channel, you're probably a tech geek like the creator that you're watching. You're not the average (laughs) consumer. So like you just alluded to, the average person is not going to upgrade their phone every year. They they just don't work that way. Most people use their phone until it's broken or to their contract is up, and they're (laughs) eligible for an upgrade to a new one, and then they'll upgrade to a new one. But they're they're not thinking in the tech geek mindset that maybe a Viper or Rene Ritchie thinking.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, most people don't go from phone to phone, like, you know, like, like an MKBHD or Mr. Mobile or uh-huh. any of those people, you know, who, who do or, or unbox it. Or like, you know, goes from one phone to another every few weeks. They It's huge decisions for them and it's hundreds of dollars or years of commitment. And that's why when I did my iPhone XR, my two weeks later review, I compared it to the iPhone 6S and I got, I got made fun of, but I also got a bunch of people going, yes, that's the phone I have and the one I want to upgrade to. And that's exactly <laughs> right. the questions I had.
0: Yes. so speaking along those lines, you know that Samsung just came out with their Galaxy S10 line of phones. I'm curious, have you been able to use one yet? I have only
1: used them in passing. Uh, so like for people aren't familiar, we have iMore and Windows Central and Android Central and Techno Technobuffalo. So I don't get invited to all the Android stuff. We have, like, Daniel Bader and Andrew Martinick and, uh, you know, just Nirav. You know, we have a bunch of people who do those. So I only get to see them, like, when they're playing with them or they put them down for a second. Uh, But I... I've had issues with Samsung for a long time because everything was so me too. Like there was the Blackberry and then the Blackjack. And then like there was the trio, like, it was sorry, the Palm Pre and then the Galaxy S6 and the iPhone. And the yeah it was just like, everything was a me too product. But then slowly, <laughs> like over the years, I spent like with first with the Galaxy Note line, but now with the Galaxy S line, they're like, they found their identity. Yeah. <laughs> And like, it's so exciting to watch because it was just like, oh, you made a USB cable that looks like an Apple 30 pin dock connector for no reason. You know, <laughs> no reason. There's no reason a USB plug has to look like that. Um, and, but, and, and now, yeah, there's still like a little bit of things like, you know, like you, like you don't have. So here's my thing. If I don't want Apple, I don't want Apple. That's why I've loved like Motorola historically or like HTC, because I, I want to put an iPhone down and pick up something that's different, not something that's trying to be the iPhone because like I got an iPhone for that. Wow. Don't need that. Uh, So my thing was like, I pick it up and the interface looks like an iPhone. Like, ah, like I have that feeling with Huawei now. It's like uh, the the phone, the phone app doesn't have to look that way. Like it's, it's so boring on the iPhone already. Why make it boring on Huawei as well? (laughs) But like Samsung is really like doing their own thing now. And I think it's so refreshing.
0: It's funny that you said it because our good friend, John Proctor said in this video, he went on a rant when last year, all the Android OEMs were copying the notch. He was yeah. like, why would I buy the copy when I could get the original? And then later on he went off to buy not one but two iPhones. So you make <laughs> a good point with that. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like give it doesn't
1: have to be totally different, but like was like, like Motorola reminded me of like the Millennium Falcon. It was like not smooth and it was like all char- like like uh, had a lot of character to it. And I, I love the Nexus One, was one of my favorite phones because it was like aspirational as what next year's phones were gonna be. I just, I, so just I hate like all the carbon copy stuff. Just give me new fresh ideas, and the S10 is definitely like doing that now.
0: Oh yeah, and um, it seems like uh more and more Android phones are going to carve their own path this year. We're not going to see as many notches. It's but we don't get alone. <laughs> but um, yeah, Samsung has their whole punch and their their pill punch, and then we have the foldable phone coming down the pipeline and things yep. like that. And they're actually making Apple notch look kind of antiquated right now. So I'm kind of like happy about that. Hopefully, Apple will change the notch design at some point. Probably not this year, but maybe next year. But that brings us to March 25th, Renee. And yes, then you know what's coming on March 25th? It is Apple's annual, seems like now, spring event. So, Renee, the number one question that we have for March 25th will we see new hardware?
1: So my guess, my guess is no. My guess is they're going to be super. No, but it's in two parts. So my guess is we won't see new hardware at the event but we'll see new hardware around the event. Like I think they're going to want to spend the event showcasing Apple news and Apple uh, video. And maybe it makes sense to show that off on a new iPad. But if the pros had been now, maybe, but I just don't see, hey, here's our new budget iPad. Uh, Apple video looks great on our new budget iPad. Maybe it's like oh the most affordable way ever to watch Apple Video. You know maybe I can see Phil saying that or Jaws saying that, but it just seems like they want to have Jennifer Aniston or Brie Larson up on stage and they want that to be the story. So like some years like last year the iPad 9.7 inch the non Pro was announced at the education event, but the year before they just let, they just put it out in a press release, and we've had a lot of Macs you know announced in press release. So my guess is updates. If there's no big new design or no big new features they want to show off, we'll just see like after the event or something or before the event to clear the deck, we'll just see those things come out in press releases. And then on stage, it'll really be focused on showtime.
0: Oh God! Yeah, that's not if that's not an obvious old to what we can expect on March 25th. I don't know what it is. So my man Apple World's in the chat and he's asking a pretty obvious question, but I'll pose it to you anyway, even though we both know the answer. He wants to know, Renee, are you going to the 25th keynote? Of course you are. Oh hell
1: yeah, yeah, they could course
0: <laughs> I mean, I think the better question is when is the last time Renee Ritchie missed an Apple event? So I did not get invited for a
1: very, very long time. Like, um, I've only been invited for the last few years. So I missed like all of them until WWDC a few years ago. And then I would still miss the smaller events. And now I've been going steadily for like two, three years.
0: Really? Wow. Yeah, it's I mean, like
1: they always have limited space. And I never like, like, if you can ask anybody this, like, you can ask Gruber this, anybody, they'll always say they never expect it. It's super nice when it happens, but you can't ever expect it. And I think that's going to increase because, as we saw recently, Apple isn't just catering to tech press anymore. Like, Apple Watch was very fashion focused and then fitness focused. And those are less seats going to tech bloggers and tech YouTubers and they're also with you they're doing YouTubers now but they're also doing non-tech YouTubers yep. because again like they know our audience knows everything about the iPhone like we'll go over it sure but if they can get like again like if they can get like Beyonce holding the new Apple Watch or they can get Taylor Swift talking about the new iPhone or they get it like on a fashion channel or a makeup channel or something that's a whole new audience for them but that comes at sort of the expense of some of the tech people who have been traditionally covering it and it's fun now because like traditional magazine publishers were so angry when the bloggers started getting invited yeah so angry cuz like those bloggers are not professional they're just who are they? And now the bloggers are sort of angry that like the YouTubers and like the Instagrammers are getting invited because like, they don't even blog. What are they doing, weird video stuff. <laughs> but it's just that like you have to evolve with the media because that's that's where your audience is.
0: Absolutely, I always say if you're not, if you don't have a presence on YouTube or if you don't recognize YouTube as the media presence that it is, that it is you are really missing the boat, especially in 2019 because YouTube is where it's at. Even
1: like a couple of years ago, there was like this magazine guy going, there's this this Marquez Brownlee guy talking about Sapphire Screens. Who is that? What is it even? What does he know about? And I was like, he's got like 2 million subscribers, dude. you got like three readers. What do you got?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, the shame! Whoa! Oh, I love Renee. I love Renee. Speaking of subscribers, Renee, you are approaching a YouTube milestone yourself. You are currently at 92,000, which means you'll be uh, in 100,000, I would guess, what, in about two weeks, three weeks, maybe? Uh, I don't know. It always seems growing? like the closer you get, the slower it goes. It's <laughs> like the <laughs> universal law. I don't know, man. Like, usually, yeah, but you, you've you been pumping out, like, what, two or three videos a week, so I think you're going to get there faster than you oh. might anticipate.
1: <laughs> I'm trying to do daily for the last few weeks. We'll see oh, how it goes. These,
0: oh, yeah. Yeah, daily is even better, because the algorithm loves daily, so you're going to be at 100,000 in no time. Hey, you have do you have any special plan for 100K? I I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it yet. Like I, so far I've been
1: experimenting. Like I've tried, people ask me for how to videos and I've been doing them, but they haven't been really popular, but I don't want to stop doing them because people seem to like them. So, you know, I have all these things that I'm managing on a day-to-day level and I haven't really stopped to think about anything.
0: You might want to start considering what you want to do at hundred (laughs) K. I know, oh God. Maybe, maybe we get a Rene Richie live stream or something. I don't know. Oh, like, maybe. Yeah. Like, yeah. a hundred
1: thousand balloons in the room and just pop them all.
0: Strangely satisfying uh, balloon pops. Absolutely. So I have an interesting question. If you weren't covering that... Apple, what do you think you would be covering? So before I got into this,
1: I was doing product marketing. So like, I, I don't have a, my, my early background was graphic design, then I did web development, then I did product marketing, so I'd probably still be doing product marketing. I really liked it, but it was for enterprise software, which is hella boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you you had to talk like, our oh, databases and blah, 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 um, and like, it's just not exciting, but like, I love the field, so if, if I wasn't covering Apple, I'd probably do general tech, like I think a lot of it is so fascinating and so important, like the whole social networking, uh, like Facebook today, more, more charges on Facebook today, like you can't stop seeing that stuff. I think there's a lot of interest in the human condition there, so maybe I would do more social media coverage or something.
0: Speaking of uh, Facebook, it happens to be down at the moment, but I hope we won't talk about it. And that.
1: Instagram, right? And like, Instagram, yep.
0: <laughs>
1: how are we gonna survive? We can't take photos of our food. Man,
0: man, what whatever <laughs> we do, whatever will we do? <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I've been trying to upload a picture of my coffee for like eight hours, and it hasn't worked, and I'm so angry. <laughs>
0: Come on, Instagram! My man tried to upload a picture of his coffee. Get it together, baby. Get it together. <laughs> right,
1: there's no other point for that app to exist than for people to upload pictures of their coffee. It's got like one job.
0: It's like one job. You have one job. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! God, this is great. This is this isn't is amazing, man. This is amazing talking to you, dude. So amazing. Oh, it's likewise, absolutely likewise. So amazing. So, I I call myself the man about tech because I eat, sleep, and breathe tech. Even when I'm not. Uh, producing tech content. I'm um, watching tech videos, things like that. So what does Renee Ritchie do when he's not working on tech content? Is he still consuming tech or are you doing other things outside of tech?
1: So like I used to joke that the more podcasts I did, the less time I had to listen to podcasts. And now I find the more videos I, I do, the less time I have to watch videos. Yep. Um, and, and right now it's like, I wake up in the morning, I get the video ready to go live. Then I start writing the next video. Then I film it. Then I start editing it. And I like, I rinse and repeat. And I still blog in between that because I still cover news for i more like on a daily basis. So anytime I'm not filming, I'm still writing all the i more stuff. <laughs> uh, so that's so when I when I'm not doing that, I like to like hang out with my family. I have two little God kids that are awesome and like, you know, they just want to play games or they want to, you know, have fun. So that's that's what I try to do. Awesome.
0: Do you still practice uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu?
1: I do, but I blew out. So I was I was doing a sweep. So I was falling sideways doing a hook sweep and my foot stayed behind. And so I tore a bunch of ligaments in my in my foot and I I'm supposed to have them surgically repaired, but I just haven't had time to do it. So I I have to do that at some point. So I've been doing like light rolling and
0: things, but nothing hardcore for for a little while. Ah, okay. All right. So let's talk about your recent transition in video form. So recently you did a video, I think, with uh, Jonathan Morrison or he helped you and transitioning to the two to one format. So uh, talk to us about that.
1: So i was i was like watching john and jonathan is just if you haven't seen him he is gorgeous his videos are just so good looking oh yeah i want to live in that world oh, yeah. It's so much better looking than my world Ooh. and he's he's sw- well he was playing around with like 235 i think for his iphone uh, video needed some two by ones and eventually he settled on two two by one because it had just the best Blend of both worlds. It like fit the most number of displays, and I watched him, and I saw the little icon he had like best viewed on flagship phones. You know, it was just really cool. And then I watched him harassing Marquez to do the same thing, and then Marquez <laughs> did it, and it just it looked so cinematic. And I DM'd him, and I was like, you know, what do you think about this? How? And he he just was very kind, very generous, because like he's super busy, and I really appreciate it. But he took the time to like answer a few questions and point me in the right direction. And then I started just messing around with it in Final Cut, trying to figure out, you know, if I could do it, how easy it would be, if there, were, if it was gonna be a pain in any way. And then I found like some workarounds, and then I made the switch around New Year's, and I've been doing all the videos like that ever since.
0: Yeah, the two-to-one aspect ratio is, it's, it's kind of like you said, more cinematic, it, it gives you a wider field of uh, view. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome? It's almost like watching a movie, really. <laughs>
1: It's a little bit more work because almost everything is still 16 by nine. So you've got to like figure out how to frame everything. Uh, and some plugins don't work with it and you got to work around that. But you, I really like the results.
0: Yeah. I remember you were saying that the uh, plugin could be a little uh, tricky. You have to re- uh, reframe the plugin. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or you make them into a compound clip. If you use Final Cut, if you use Premiere, I have no idea. I haven't used <laughs> Premiere in years.
0: Um,
1: but if you use Final Cut, you make them a compound clip and then you scale them and they're fine.
0: But Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can personally attest to Jonathan Morrison's awesomeness. The best looking video on my channel was shot on one of his obesity expensive cameras. So uh yes. yeah, I, I know firsthand, like yeah, that camera cost more than I'll probably make in a year, but oh uh, yeah, it's very yeah, pitch. I saw that
1: Bell Air Flip. That that Bell Air flick he put yep. up yesterday. It's, it's gorgeous.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. That absolutely is, gorgeous. Yeah, that that clip that they put together was definitely amazing. Definitely. But yeah, man. Um, uh, so you just um you just did a video about Elizabeth Warren. I did one similar though. Yep. So what, what's next for Rene You I'm guessing you're just getting ready, ramping up to the 25th?
1: Yeah, um, I, I gotta figure all that out. I wanna get like, again, I wanna get like a few videos up in between then, but then like I have to figure out, what. how do you make Apple News interesting? Like, yeah, like I'm sure there's gonna be a ton of videos of people just holding an iPad, flipping through Apple News. But like, is that all we're gonna see is a bunch of like, every YouTuber lined up flipping through Apple News? it's not the same as like a brand new device you know like when you see a brand new device everyone is like salivating show me every angle tell me every spec does it have this port does it have that feature but otherwise it's like oh look gq oh look entertainment weekly oh and like like how do we tell that story the video i think will be easy because people are just going to want to see depending on how much apple shows because they could also say all the stuff is coming this fall <laughs> and then we'll have very little to show but assuming there is stuff like J.J. Abrams trailer for his show and the Jennifer Aniston with, you know, all that kind of stuff will be super
0: interesting. You just hit on a very good point as a, as a YouTube creator, especially like me and you definitely, we will me more so than you, but we don't I, actually you too. we don't get like every product in hand. So we have to figure out a way to make our content viewable and interesting.
1: Yeah. When you
0: don't have a, when you're not talking about a product per se, and you're talking about news like you said how do you make news interesting it's a very it's a very complex problem man it's like if what i'm fighting with like every night when i'm putting out a video because i'm like all right i'm talking about like the latter night i'm like i'm talking about elizabeth warren how can i make this interesting because this is the typical news item but i have to find a way to make it watchable for my viewers and i'm doing that a lot because i don't have access to a lot of products like the bigger youtubers and you renee you do a lot of like news analytical things too I think what makes your stuff stand out so well is that you're, are, you are so analytical with it and you break down all the minutiae of a particular issue or problem in the tech space and it's very well done. And I'm trying to think about, okay, how do I make my stuff interesting? How do I make my content watchable? Because a lot of it is tech news and things like that. So it's, it's funny that you brought that up because that is, that is something that I struggle with constantly, like making r- mundane, routine news stories interesting on YouTube.
1: Well, I mean, like like, unlike like I'm very robotic, you have the, uh, the benefit of a personality, which I think really enhances like all the videos that you do. Uh, but like I was watching a ton of stuff like I was watching talking head news shows to see what they did And like you have this huge variance like Philip DeFranco just has like a couple side graphics every time But then you look like a John Prosser and he has like eight versions of an article from different websites going up While he's talking with a hoodie over a hot cup of tea because he's still sick and <laughs> duck sounds are going off right. You know, so like there's like like the extremely different ways of presenting that stuff And then like some of the big uh, some of the big like uh, nerd channels like a TV. He has like his local eight times in a row and then like a screenshot of a Nantech you know he's got a Scottish accent talking over it so all these different approaches to it um, and I, I don't know what's right or what's wrong but I think just keep experiment I, I I just find I keep changing what I'm doing because I think I can find something better
0: yeah I think one of the things I started doing is incorporating more visuals into my video because usually I'm just sitting out the same like headshot angle I'm like alright um, this gets boring after a while even though my videos are pretty short this gets boring after a while so let me put some more visuals in here I can I can like put a, uh point out an article or a picture of a product and things yep. like that. It keeps the viewers' attention definitely. Being visual representation of what I'm trying to talk about. So to finish up this podcast, let's talk about um, what we will see at the March 25th event. We know that the Apple video streaming service is coming, and yep. the Apple uh, Apple News magazine subscription service is coming. So, what are your expectations, Renee, for the video service upon its initial launch? Do you think it's gonna fly out the gate? or do you believe it could have taken time for it to mature and become something valuable to compete with a Netflix, Hulu, something like that? So I have so many
1: questions about this because like one of the, like Apple, A lot of the traditional streaming platforms had catalog content at their start, like Netflix didn't have original programming, they had the stars and a few other catalogs. So you would go there and you just find something to watch and watch it. And even when they added originals, you'd watch like Stranger Things, it would be over. And then you have this whole catalog of backup, like you go, you go watch Knight Rider or something, you know, this whole catalog of stuff to watch. And Apple, as far as we know, doesn't have a catalog of content, like it's possible they've made a deal to have like the Warner Brothers catalog or something, but all those companies are making their own streaming services. Right, uh, And it's so annoying. Cause like I look at Apple music, and I'm like, can you imagine if Warner music and AMI oh and Sony yeah. music were all separate services and you had uh-huh. to subscribe to each of them. And then U2 is a big band. So they want their own streaming service. And you gotta subscribe mm. just to U2 and just to Beatles. Like it's madness. And that's exactly what they're doing with video. Yep. And so I don't know where Apple's gonna play on that because if like, let's say Apple launches with the JJ Abrams show, and then it's over. What do you watch next? It's not going to be Carpool Karaoke. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> no, no. So, uh, like, so, but they also have this. These, you know, close to a billion devices. So if they just put that show up in the TV app, and it's alongside all your Amazon Prime stuff and your whatever TV apps you have, not Netflix because they won't play in there, but it's alongside your other stuff. Then maybe they don't care. Maybe you'll watch the uh, the uh, Apple original, and then you'll go watch Prime or something else. And that'll, or you'll subscribe to stars or something else and that'll fill that need. Um, but I think until I see what they are offering and also like launch countries, Apple music launched in a hundred countries and now is in like 115, 120. Apple news launched in three countries and four years later, it's like in four countries, barely, cause it's still in beta in Canada. So if it's like an, an American only thing, that's a huge, that's a very small audience. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a huge audience but it's not an international audience. But if it's in a hundred countries, uh, because Apple owns it and can license it that way, then that's a much bigger pla- So, like when I see the answers to those questions, I'll have a better idea. But I think owning the pl- and this is re- right back to the beginning. Owning the platform gives you a natural advantage because you have eyeballs. Same yeah. way G- Google, the same way Google wants eyeballs. Owning the platform gives you access to eyeballs.
0: Yes, and I think uh, some analysts have come out came out and said that they think that Apple could realistically obtain hundred million subscribers in three years. Now, I don't know if I'm that optimistic, but that's what the analysts are saying. So I think that's pretty telling as to what they think Apple did, the video uh, video service could do. Yeah, totally. And also bundling comes into play because like right yeah. now
1: it's 10 bucks a month for Apple music. If it's also 10 bucks a month for Apple news and 10 bucks a month for Apple video. And then you are also paying for Netflix. You're also paying Amazon prime. You're also pay- like, it really adds up. Like suspicion oh. fatigue is real. And, but if Apple's like, you can have Apple prime and you get all this stuff for one low price, then I think people are more likely to go for it. And then suddenly all your Apple music custom uh, subscriptions become Apple video subscriptions as well. And all your Apple news, like that really generates a network effect for them. Like they'll lose money off the top and they're not doing this stuff for free, but I think it, it creates so much momentum just in the subscriber base.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, Whoo like you said, owning the platform gives them an intrinsic advantage because they could just push their subscription service right out there. to all the 1.4 billion Apple devices that are already out, out there in the wild. So they have- Don't a, tell the
1: Spotify lawyers,
0: shh. Oh God. Oh Lord, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, no kidding, right? But they have that innate advantage because they have the platform. But when you already have like a Netflix and a Hulu and things like that already yeah. out there, people are already paying for those services. Are they going to want to pay for a new Apple service that's not going to have as much? I think, like you said, a lot of it's going to depend on how Apple bundles it to make it more um, competitive with the other services that are already out there. So a lot to figure out come March 25th, for sure. Yeah.
1: And if they have a Game of Thrones, like if you have a Game of Thrones, it's a license to print money because people will subscribe just to watch that. But will they have one? We don't know.
0: Well, it it has been uh, said that or uh, prognosticated that Apple has spent about a billion dollars in original content. so. Hopefully somewhere they got something up there sleeping that billion dollars they spent because that's a lot of money to spend coming it's up with It's Interesting guns.
1: too though, because like they a lot of like Netflix and Amazon are spending a lot more, but right. they're but they're buying a lot more with it. Apple is really focusing on like all-star power. Like they're getting A-list celebrities, A-list directors, A-list properties, and they're putting less money, but they're putting it behind bigger names. And it'll be interesting to see how that strategy pays out, plays out.
0: It will be, but I'm not going to bet against Apple, at least, at least not right now, because it is Apple. And I mean, for all the purposes, Apple is a luxury brand. And a lot, of rec- a lot of people, including average consumers and celebrities, recognize Apple as such. So if anybody could put power behind a new service, it's definitely Apple.
1: But, you know, like Disney Plus is going to get my money for the, for the Vision <laughs> and Scarlet Witch and for the Loki show and for the Star Wars oh, show. And, you know, and Apple's going to have to bring something to get my money for the same stuff.
0: Oh, absolutely. I personally, I think I don't think it's going to be viable for at least like three years at least. Yeah. Because they're not going to have the content to compete with a Netflix or a Hulu or like they, even a Disney Plus. So, they're they're going to have a tough road to hope. But like I said, if anybody can do it, it's definitely Apple. Yep. 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 Renee Richie, been a pleasure, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, I love this. This is so great. Oh, this was great. Before we get out of here, Renee, let the people know where they can find you. I'm um, at Renee Ritchie on all
1: the social things or youtube.com slash vector show or you can just find all of it at imore.com slash vector.
0: And for those of you all that are watching on the live stream, if you want to go check out Renee's YouTube channel, the link is in the description. For oh, those of y'all that are right. listening on um audio only, all of all of Renee's information will be in the show notes. So check it out. Also, if you want to support this podcast in any way, links are in the description. Show notes. If you want to make a one-time donation or buy me a coffee donation, that link will be in the show notes. If you want to become a monthly supporter of the podcast, there is an anchor feature called Listener Support. That link will also be in the show notes. So if you want to support your boy, check the show notes. Everything that you need will be down there. I want to thank my man, Renee for coming on and talking with me tonight. Definitely appreciate him. Appreciate you all listening in the uh, live stream chat. And for those of you all that listen on audio, thank you very much. I definitely appreciate all of you all and your time. But until the next time, this your boy Viper, the man about tech. You know where to find me, so come back for more.